to, they used to leave the high school class, but they used to leave the, the youth ministry. So some of you, maybe you knew that. I don't, I, maybe some of you were in here at the tail end of like, you may have been coming into middle school when they were transitioning into Kaya. I don't know. It's been a few years, but um, so this is like, this is like whenever you, you move out of your first home and then you go back and visit it. And hopefully they're not thinking, what did they do with this? Let's pray for Brandon and, and this time. God, thank you for the Briscoes being with us. Uh, God, it is, it is a blessing. It, it, um, this is great. I, I'm, I'm really thankful that he gets to be here in front of us and invest in us again. And um, Brandon is, is my favorite preacher. And uh, I've learned so much from him and, and uh, from his preaching, but also just from his life. And so um, I know that in eternity future, um, he's going to be able to look at me and, and say, that's my crown of rejoicing. Uh, I know that. And um, so I'm thankful for this. <clears throat> God, would you use this, though? This isn't just some weird, like, reunion thing. This is, we want to hear from you in your word, and we want you to use... Brandon here, and we want you to use the Briscoes being here with us to knit our hearts together, God, and to, and to move our lives more toward um, you. And so, God, have your way with us, each of us in here, and remove distraction, remove um, hesitation and, and fear, God, from us, and let us just receive what you have. God, we need you this morning, and we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I don't know. I think I'm on. I don't know if I did this right, Dylan. Am I? Is there a way of knowing if I've done the right thing here? Hopefully, I have. It looks right. This is a different mic than I'm used to. This one. This is ghetto. Whatever you got going on here is garbage. We need to make an investment in a new microphone for you guys. Yeah, it's janky. Um, well. I am so glad to be here. Um, being in here during worship this morning was so refreshing to me. And uh, I've always I've always loved student ministry. And I would have probably nef- never left student ministry if it wasn't for God, you know, making me. Uh, you know, you have to kind of listen to Him as part, of the th- as part of the thing of following Him. You have to listen to Him and do things that He tells you to do. But I was, a, I was a high school teacher for 10 years as well. In fact, I just resigned from teaching two years ago in order to be full-time here at the church. And so my heart has always been for high school students. I love high school students. Um, and, uh, and, and so it, for me, it's a pleasure to be here with you. But it's also a little intimidating for me. When I came in, Tegan and Seth were talking about how they're slightly intimidated by me and by Kaya and I'm kind of intimidated to be here because I feel like a little bit like a fish out of water. It's been a while since I've been hanging out with high school students. And so um, hopefully I'm cool enough to make it through. I'll check with Gavin before I leave. If I've, You can rate me out of 10 on, cool, on the cool factor. Uh, but but it is, it is it really good for me to be here. And, I, it, you know, Jeff and I always talk about the importance of the high school ministry being connected to the college and young adult ministry, uh, because m- my desire and our anticipation is that when you graduate high school, I know that that's a scary thing. It's, it's see, it seems scarier than it really is, to be honest with you. Um, you don't have to understand 
adulthood like this. You don't have to be like grown up like this. Um, there are guys uh, that are 23 years old in Kaya uh, who still kind of act like they're 18. So um, you don't have to have it all figured out. But we, but we want you. We want you to be with us. We want you to worship with us. We want you to do Bible study with us. We want to hang out together. We want to fellowship together. Um, there really isn't anything intimidate, intimidating about any of that. In fact, I want to address that a little bit today, at least peripherally. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians, so go ahead and turn there. We're in 1 Corinthians and Kaya, and I preached a message that I felt would be re- relevant for you guys too, and so we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and, uh, and we're going to see how far we can get there. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we live in a fairly divided country, and a divided world, right? Uh, people are at odds with one another over all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff, right? About politics. You see it at school, don't you? You see the factions of individuals who associate themselves. Uh, you, see it, uh, you see it with grown-ups, especially with politics. And race is a big segregating factor that divide people from one another. Culture, all right? In your high schools, you see cultures divided. Theater kids, Right? are different. They're unique. Debate kids. That's another. (laughs) Debate kids are a a weird type of faction. Football players are different than any other kind of athlete in your school, right? Their heads are the biggest, like physically and and metaphorically, right? Um, But you see people divided from one another. You see races divided in your school. You know, uh, based on this, the color of your skin, where you're allowed to sit at lunch and where you're not. You, you know what that's like. And that's the kind of world we live in. And the funny thing about it is we pretend like we're more connected than we've ever been before. Like we like to pretend because of, of the way that we can communicate with people all over the world. Like some of you guys are going to be playing video games this evening online with people that don't even speak English. Right? I mean, some of you nerds are going to go play, I don't even know what they're playing right now. See, there's a new Call of Duty out, right? Isn't there? It's bad? What's the thing right now? What's the online game that's like... Well, whatever it is, y'all are going to be doing it with Japanese kids tonight. So, and... Yeah, there's Japanese kids out there playing video games with y'all. And, and we think that we're connected. But the truth is, the truth is, we are perhaps more disconnected than maybe we've ever been, despite how connected our world is. In fact, data shows that nearly 7 in 10 teenagers, that's 68%, agree that devices, the things that you guys are like, that are in your pocket right now, that are burning, and you want to look at them so bad, right? Uh, devices keep us from having real conversations. That's what, that's what 7 out of 10 teenagers think. They know that. Y'all know that. And 32% say that devices sometimes separate them from other people completely. And it isolates you. And so we're not just talking about the secular world either. We're, we're talking about Christianity too. One in five Christian adults say they feel lonely at least once each day, with 10% of Christians feeling lonely all the time. That's pretty wild, isn't it? that we can pretend to be so connected and yet we're still so lonely. And there's something broken. There's something that's off. We, we all long for meaningful relationships. We all recognize that relationships can be difficult though, right? Can't they? They can be very, very hard. And as Christians, I think sometimes that we have forgotten that God left us with a very in, intentional purpose to be unified and to exemplify the harmony of the gospel message. So as Christians, we are supposed to magnify the gospel through our relationships with one another. And you can think to yourself right now, do you do that? Do you do that in the high school ministry? Are your relationships so connected and harmonized with one another? Are you so on the same page with each other that when people look at your lives, they think, oh man, those Christians are for real? I mean, you know, right? And we, when we as Christians struggle to be unified, it negatively impacts the value of our church and it disrupts the work of God in our city. 
And so don't say that you want to see Christ magnified. Don't say that you want to see people saved. Don't say that you want to see kids in your high school discipled and following Jesus if you can't glorify the name of Jesus Christ in the relationships that you have with other Christians. Right? There's a false dichotomy there. Right? You can't say one thing and do the other. Right? The two things go hand in hand. So the question for today's sermon is, what is the key to preventing broken relationships and maintaining a healthy and unified ministry? Now, when I say ministry, I don't just mean, you guys, I know how it feels to be in high school ministry. You feel like you're in a silo, right? You're like your own weird thing within the church. And you feel, you don't know the adults very well. You don't know the little kids very well. You don't even know the college students very well. Uh, A lot of the times you feel like you're in a little bit of a bubble here. And so I think it's very difficult for you to think, when we say ministry, you don't think of MBT, you think of high school ministry. But the truth is, our ministries, whether it's Kaya or high school, are connected to the body of Christ here at 40th and Walnut. And these relationships that we have with one another are critical, and they have to be unified. So let's read the passage, and then we'll, we'll try to dissect it and see what's going on here. So, verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. But that ye be perfectly joined together, that's the name of our sermon today, in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. And I, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I ba- baptized any of you. It's funny, I, I love that part because Paul seems to have forgotten who he baptized. He likes, he's like writing and then decides not to erase. He's like, oh yeah, and I also baptized Stephanus in his house. You know, I think that's funny. Uh, Verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So let's look more closely at what, what God's thoughts are on the issue of unity. Let's start here with the word beseech. It says, Now I beseech you. The word beseech is important because the word beseech means to come alongside another person and empathetically provoke them, okay? To call them to something greater. Beseech is a lot like the word beg, but it's not like someone getting down on their, na- their knees and begging you. It's like them sitting down next to you and pleading with you as a friend. The language here highlights just how important the topic of unity is to God because Paul is beseeching them. He is begging them in a sense. He's pleading with them in a sense that they would be unified because he recognizes how important this is to Jesus Christ. And the question for us is, do we see it the same way? Is it that important to us? I mean, it was that important to Paul that he's beseeching, he's pleading with them, but do we see it with that level of severity? And many of you know what it's like to have a broken relationship, right? Some of you have them in your families, don't you? There's relationships that aren't right. Maybe your parents are divorced. Maybe there's a lot of fighting going on in your home. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you have aunts and uncles that don't want to talk to each other or people treat each other poorly. You see it in your family and you see it in your school and you see it with your friends. All right? You got friends, people that used to be your friends are no longer your friends because some stupid crap that who no one even remembers. Why you hate each other, but but there you are, you're divided and you experience it and it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to have broken relationships. And we all know what they're like. And when you grow up and you get older, broken relationships feel even worse. Right? They feel even more severe. The pain gets worse and worse. And then you can become jaded, which is what grown-ups do, especially. They get jaded. And they get hardened. And then they don't think with their heart anymore. They forget how to think with their heart the way that high school students can. And they, they no longer feel towards one another because they want to protect themselves. They want to guard themselves against hurt. And so what's vital for us to understand is that despite our own hurt, 
we must, we as Christians, must refuse to become jaded. We have to reconstruct our faith. We have to be determined that when we graduate from high school, we're not going to run away because this was so hard. Because, because the relationships at church are difficult. You know, and we make some sort of excuse and then we run away. We can't do that. We've got to find our place right here. And whatever problems that we see in our relationships in the church, we have to decide that we're instead of running away, we're going to contribute to a healthy biblical ideal. We're going to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And I think some of us don't know it, but we are the part of, we are part of the problem. You look at the church and you think you can make a long list of all of the problems, but instead of helping, instead of throwing yourself in, instead of choosing to love people, instead of choosing to do the hard thing, it's easier for us to just complain and then walk away when it's convenient. But that's not what God wants us to do. He wants to lean in and He wants us to choose to make our relationships with one another healthy. We're never going to find a perfect church. We're never going to find perfect friends at church. You don't even have to be like each other. You don't even have to have similarities. It's not important. Because the most important thing is that we put aside our feelings and our frustration for the sake of the Gospel. Because Jesus loved us that much. Because He cares about us that much. Because He gave His own life and He bled out and died to save you. We can put aside our petty stuff and learn to love one another. Let's look, let's look on at what he says. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, listen, there's more at stake than just your feelings. You understand? There is more, there is more at stake, there's more at risk than you just getting hurt by the people in this room or the people in this church. There's more at stake than you growing jaded. There's more at stake than you being upset or whatever it might be. There's more at stake. See, what's at stake is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our first key point here. Every Christian relationship has the power to either magnify or malign the name of Christ. Every relationship in this room, every relationship in this room, every relationship in this church has the ability to either magnify the name of Jesus Christ, make it declarative, make it transcendent, make it amazing in this world, make it amazing in your classrooms at school, make it amazing to the visitors that walk in here, right? Look around. We're in a freaking trailer, okay? Talk about lowly environment for a youth ministry. You know, there's churches down the street that have big events, big fellowship halls with basketball courts and video games and pizza every Sunday. Mountain Dew, fountain, Mountain Dew fountains that you might bathe within, right? There's churches like this, and their desire is to bring people in and make them excited about church. But that's the thing that they don't understand is that's not really what people want. And it might draw numbers in for a time, but it does not retain people. And so here's the deal. You guys have to be particularly different than that. Because when people walk in the doors of this place, it is a little bit disheartening. Like, oh, I didn't know I was coming to a trailer. <laughs> right? I didn't, I didn't know that this was a, you know, a church like that. Okay? And they walk in here and, it, and, and whatever that is, it could get in the way of the gospel perhaps. But the beautiful thing about that is that this is a humble and lowly environment and what that means is that the relationships themselves have to do the work of magnifying the name of Christ because in our flesh we can't do it. Right? In our own mechanisms and cool ideas, you could make this room cool, you could get a graffiti artist to come do some cool, lame, cool thing on the walls and make it cool in here. Right? And we could have our own Mountain Dew fountain right here in the corner. And at the end of the day, if the relationships in here don't magnify the name of Christ, they will, they will actually undermine the name of Jesus Christ. They will malign it. They will... They will they will destroy the name of Christ. And the Bible tells us about this. In fact, Jesus Christ Himself does. John chapter 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. This is how they'll know that you follow me. This is how they'll know that you follow Jesus Christ. If you have love one to another. See, the world determines the validity of who you follow based on how you treat one another. 
And so we have to take this issue as seriously as Paul does and as serious as Jesus does. So how do we know that we have unity? What do biblical relationships look like? Right? It's unfair to talk about the need for a biblical relationship without talking about how we get one. So let's look at it, or even how to recognize one, right? So let's look at how to recognize a relationship, a, a proper biblical relationship. The first thing it says is that ye all speak the same thing. That ye all speak the same thing. Now this isn't re- referring to you being like some sort of Christian robot programmed me- me to say all of the same stuff, right? Okay, that would make us a cult. And that's not what we want, right? That's not what we're aiming for. You get to decide whether or not you want to follow Jesus. But when we say that we all speak the same thing, what we're really talking about here is that is that, that, that we need to be so agreed on God's truth, right? This thing right here, the Bible. We need to be so agreed on this that each one of us, the way that we speak, is underpinned by concepts that are aligned with this book. Okay, so when we talk, people hear truth coming out of our mouth. And when we're all speaking the truth of God's Word, well, our philosophy on the world will be the same, and the way we speak will be the same. And even though this room is full of all different types of personalities and interests and experiences and cultures and races and ethnicities and all kinds of diversity in this room, you guys like different music, different fashion, etc., etc., okay? None of that, no one's taking that from you. All of that, that diversity is important. But none of that can come in the way or get in the way of our unity around the Word of God. And when we study the Word of God together, we begin to speak the same things. We see this is true in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, in the early church, that their, that their, their lives were centered, their fellowship was centered around a singular perspective on the teaching of God's Word. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They had a teaching that they followed and they fellowshiped around. It says, they, they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So, do you, high school ministry, get in the Word together? Do you get in the Word together? I know that you guys have Bible studies. I know that there's a date and a time on the calendar where you get together, you hang out, and in some form or fashion, you're opening the Bible. I know that you're doing that. But do you attend? Because you attending those events is critical. The time of fellowship around the Word is critical to you being the ministry that you need to be. To speaking the same thing. So that you're not all divided and saying different things. Having the Bible open and studying it together is really, really important. So, you know, the, how many of you guys are seniors? How many of you... Uh, are, okay, so I'm getting... There's a, quite a group here. Okay, oh, wow. Whoa. It's a big group, bro. It's bigger than I thought. So one of the things that we really want to see that Jeff and I have talked about for a really long time is this idea that, that, that second semester, senior year, we want the seniors to be involved in a Kaya Bible study. Now that might seem scary to you, but it's not. Like, I can't tell you how excited that the college students are to have you come and be a part of their Bible studies. Like, they're chomping at the bit. I get text messages. When are the, when are the graduates showing up, right? They want to see you. They want to hang out with you. They want to get to know you. They want to take you out to coffee. And they want to welcome you with everything that they have, Okay. And if you go to kaya.live, C-A-Y-A dot live, you will find on our website a Bible study section. And if you click on Bible studies, you will see all of the friendly faces, where they meet, and what times. There's 32 of them. 32 different Bible studies that meet all over our city. Pick one based on where you're going to be going to college. Pick one based on... on um, what neighborhood you live in or, or what's closest to you or pick one based on friendships that you have. I don't care what you do. Just go show up to one. Go figure it out. Because Bible study is probably the most important aspect of Kaya. And the reason is because we all want to speak the same thing. Because we have a mission. Now, we would all say that a military that has different 
perspectives, pers different ideologies, a, a, a battalion of soldiers, if they all have different ideas about something, they're probably not going to function together and they're not going to be able to work together. You understand? If they're all speaking different things, they all have different opinions about how to do things, they're not going to work well together. We as a ministry recognize that we're warriors in this world. We're soldiers for the gospel's sake. And we have to recognize our marching orders and we all have to be declaring them in harmony. And if we don't do that, if we don't do that, we're going to fail and we're going to isolate ourselves and eventually we're going to leave. We're going to walk away from everything. That's the end of it. Is you walking away from your faith and walking away from church. That's how it goes. Okay? Because when you're a grown-up, you get to decide to do that. You get to decide. No one, no one in Kaya is going to make you do anything. You do whatever you want to do. You're going to be a grown-up. Okay? But the point is this is that if you want to be on the same page and if you care about the things of God and you care about the Great Commission and living after Jesus Christ, you will find a way to be involved in Bible study because it's an opportunity for you to learn how to speak the same thing. Philippians 3.16 Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let's walk. Let us walk. Our movements, our actions, our lives lived out. Let's walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Romans 15.5 Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one mouth. Okay? Many bodies, one mouth. Many people, many lives, many perspectives on art and fashion and music and all these other different, all the different personalities. Different people, one mouth. All declaring the same thing. That's what we're working towards. That's what we want. That's what unity looks like. And the world doesn't know how to achieve that. That's the, that's the craziest thing about it. When I, when I preached this message in, in Kaya, um, I asked for a show of hands of how many people in the room had, were born in America, uh, uh, born outside of America, and, or, or whose parents were born outside of America. And it was somewhere between one-sixth and one-eighth of the entire ministry was, was born outside or their parents were born outside of America. Isn't that crazy? We go to a really diverse church, right? We've got, we've got black and brown and white people in this room right now. Some of you speak more than one language. You come from different ethnic backgrounds, okay? Um, we don't all look the same and we don't all act the same. That's a beautiful thing about Midtown Baptist Temple. That's the beautiful thing. And when God sees that, you know what? He loves it. And when the world sees that, it proves that the diversity that they want that they don't know how to get is achievable in Christ. Well, well, everyone wants to talk about tolerance. Everyone wants to talk about coexist. You guys see these coexist bumper stickers with all the different religious world religions and nonsense? Come together. Come on, you know, come together, live together in harmony. That it's impossible. On the world's terms, that's impossible. It doesn't happen. It's the reason why the news looks the way it does. That's the, why, the reason why your Instagram feed, everyone is so pissed off. Because the world doesn't know how to do it. But we, God has given us the key. We have the ability to be unified under Jesus Christ. We have that ability. And so God calls the Corinthians to fight against division. Actively fight against it. Working against it. Choosing to fight against it. And that there be no divisions of... Bro. <laughs> Is that a slippy or a coffee? I don't, My bad. Uh, okay, so listen. No divisions among you, right? None. Okay, now that's a command. You recognize that, right? That's a command that there be no divisions among you. You have to choose to either obey that command or not. Right? You've got to choose it. This same word divisions in Greek, it shows up later on in chapter 12 as the word schism. Okay? The word division and schism here, at, the, at their core, the definition is, is torn apart. So 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says that there, be, that there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care one for another. In other words, that the body of Christ should not be torn apart. Right? That's what it's like. It's like literally, that's a very intentional thing to do is to tear the body apart. If you took a piece of cloth, you don't accidentally just tear a piece of cloth. Alright? 
If you've got it in your hands, you've got to decide to pull it, rend it, and to tear it. It's intentional. At some level, it's intentional. Okay? Now listen to me. What God is telling us is there should be no division like that. There should be no two people that are divided from one another. There should be no two people that are angry, angry with each other. And that we should all have the same care for one another. So think about the person in this room that you care about the most. Okay? The care that you have for that individual is the same care that you should have for every other person in this room. Do you? Do you? I mean, it says right here that the members should have the same care one for another. That's a challenging thought. Now, what else does it say? Okay? I mean, so far we've heard that we need to speak, speak the same thing, that we need to fight against division. It's got to be an active way of thinking. But then it goes on and says, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So what Paul advocates for here is that we be joined together. And that, to me, is like a tapestry, you know, like a quilt. Anybody have grandmas that make quilts? Yeah? Quilt, yeah, quilt grandmas. That's a different kind of grandma altogether, quilt grandmas. Right? And uh, quilt grandmas know how to take fragments of things, pieces, old, old thrift store shirts and whatever it is that they find, bags of clothing that they've had from 1973. And they take all of these diverse pieces and they somehow hem them together in a way that makes you real cozy at night. Okay? Now that's what God wants to do with us. We're all incredibly different. We're all incredibly unique. But under the banner of Jesus, He wants us to join together. Colossians chapter 2, 2 says, uses the word knit together. Same mind here in this, in this passage means to be single in your perspective. Okay, so speaking the same thing, okay, you can fake that, can't you? I can pretend to say the things that, I can mimic what Jeff says. I can say the Jesus stuff. I can learn how to say it and I can act real religious and I can pretend to speak the same things but have the wrong mind. Okay, what this is saying is that we also need to have the same mind with one another. That means that we see the words of God the same way. This is why our church has LFBI. And I know in your mind you're thinking, well, that's way far down the road. That's for a different kind of grown-up in this church. I don't even think about LFBI. But the reason that we have discipleship and LFBI is because we want to have the same mind. We want, we want to be unified at the level of our thoughts. So much so that it permeates into our judgment. It says same judgment. And what that means is that our minds are so much the same that, that we see our reality and our perspectives on our world are the same. We know how to judge the world. We know how to look at situations and determine right and wrong. We know how to move forward in faith. We know how to decipher between lies and truth. We know how to do that. We have the same judgment because we have the same mind and we speak the same. That's a pretty powerful thought. How many... Um, well, I won't, I won't ask because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But y'all have something called mentorship. Okay? And our church has something called discipleship. And the reason that we have mentorship and discipleship is to be invested in so that we might have all these things. So that all these things might be true of us. So that we can work as a team. And then we could do the one thing that God really cares about. And that's to win the world. That's to win every soul. That's to deliver people from hell. And it really doesn't matter, matter what else you do with your life. If you're not doing that, then you are out of fellowship with God. And there's something messed up. So how do we build unity? How do we, how do we build it? And how do we keep it in our body? And in, in this class, in our church... In a world divided, how does our church promote unity? In our church... Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Cute. That must be a 7th grader. That's what I said. What? Yeah, right. Um, okay, so... Unity... Here's our next key point. Unity only exists through... Shared purpose, shared persistence, and shared principles. 
That's the only way that it can exist. It only exists through, uh, through and because of a shared purpose, shared persistence, and shared principles. And this is spelled out for us in Ephesians chapter 4. In our church, I don't know if you've even seen, you may have seen the t-shirts that have Ephesians chapter 4 on them. Our church, we use Ephesians chapter 4 as a platform to talk about, about unity all the time. Okay, and that's because it teaches us how to have unity. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 for a second. The first thing that we learn is that unity requires acknowledging who you are. You've got to acknowledge who you are. Okay, and that has everything to do with your purpose, doesn't it? Your shared purpose. Ephesians 4 1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Now listen, Paul, when he wrote this letter to Ephesus, he was, he was quite literally a prisoner in a jail cell. Okay, but that's not what he means. He says he's a prisoner of the Lord. So his physical circumstances aren't important to him, right? It's who God calls him to be that's important. And this has everything to do with the, state, his, the station in his life, right? The state of his being. In terms of how he saw himself, he was bound with a chain to Jesus. He was the prisoner of Christ. Christ did everything for him, and so he was going to live in a way where he did everything for Christ. All of his marching orders came from Christ. Everything he was supposed to be and do, it came from Christ. That was his perspective. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. And then he says, this word beseech again, beseech you, beg you, plead with you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation. Who knows what a vocation is? What's a vocation? We wish it said vacation, but it doesn't. It says, it says vocation. So we're not talking about we're not talking about a trip to Costa Rica or Cancun. What does vocation mean? What? what? It's like work. It's your job. So Paul's talking about work here. And he wants us to walk worthy of our vocation wherewith you're called. So here's the thing that we have to recognize. We're not just a prisoner. We're a worker for Jesus. We have a vocation. We've got a job. And there's things that we're supposed to do. And the thing that we're supposed to do is live the Great Commission. That means to go and seek and save the lost and teach them how to follow Jesus. That's our whole life. It's a very simple job. Okay? Simple on paper anyway. Right? Difficult to live. But that's our job. God wants to get something done in your life. He wants to use you, whether you believe it or not. And understanding your objectives as a minister of God is critical in order for you to get perspective on the relationships around you. Okay? Here's how that affects other people. You don't get to just autonomously, on your own, as a liberated Christian, follow Jesus Christ. You don't get to do that. Your vocation is absolutely connected to and contingent on the relationships in this room. Okay, anybody here have a job? Yeah, okay. Do you work with other employees? Okay, everybody that you work with is trying to get the same kind of stuff done. When I was in high school, I worked at Hen House grocery store I did wow are there even hen houses anymore I don't know if there are yeah the names of grocery stores are ridiculous when I was a kid there was a grocery store called Piggly Wiggly who, go, who wants to shop at a place called Piggly Wiggly I worked at a place called hen house I stocked shelves okay now my job was to stock those shelves now that seemed that was different than what they did in the meat department, in the seafood department. I didn't sack groceries, and I didn't check people out. Okay? I mopped up when old ladies broke pickle jars, and I put stuff on shelves. Now, everybody that worked there had different responsibilities. But it didn't change the fact that we all had the same vocation called to make Hen House a better place to shop. And our job was to make sure that sales were high, and that it was a great experience for shoppers. That's what we did as employees at the Hen House. Okay? Now we here in the student ministry at Midtown Baptist Temple have to work together. We have to know that our job is to seek and save the lost. But we do that as a team. And though we don't get to just say that we're going to do that unless we work as a team. Your job requires you to work with the members of this team. So consider your vocation and engage in the relationships that you have 
as though you have an eternal responsibility to one another. Because you do. You do. Next, it requires humility and endurance. Humility and endurance. It does. Because relationships are hard. And so there's a way you have to act and think in order to do them right. And it looks like this. Verse 2, with all lowliness. Uh, Put down that pride. You can't be proud and do this. There's no way. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, which quite literally means to suffer long, to, to go through hardship, forbearing, that means putting up when need be, putting up with one another. So you have to determine that, that even though things aren't going to go your way and people are going to mistreat you, they are. Jeff's actually going to mistreat you, believe it or not. Even though he loves you, that's the way family works. At times, we fail each other. We hurt each other's feelings. We say things that are misunderstood. Communication is, you know, our sin nature makes communication very, very difficult. And sometimes we fail each other and we hurt each other. Now here's the deal. That regardless of how you feel and regardless of how you think people are treating you, you have to choose to lower yourself and humble yourself and fight for unity. You have to endure the hardship. You have to suffer long. You have to forbear. You've got to put up with people that are weird. You do. You've you got to. You've got to put up with people that you don't understand and the way that they talk and the way that they act and the way that they behave. and You, just, you don't understand it. But it doesn't make any difference. Christ bled and died for them. And so you are obligated to fight for that relationship. I can tell you every kid that ever left the high school ministry when I, when I was in the high school ministry. I know their names. I know why they left. I remember the prayers that I prayed. I remember the tears that I cried. I know every one of them. And some of those kids were rude and they were mean. They treated me poorly and some of them were just plain weird. And I loved every one of them. And that's not just the grown-up's job. That's just that's not just the counselor's job to think that way. That's your job. This is your church. And Christ will either be glorified or maligned based on how you treat one another. We've got to fight for it. We have to forbear. You know, that's what God did with you. I mean, you're just a stupid idiot. I mean, I'm a stupid idiot. You know how bad you've mistreated Jesus Christ? You know how terrible a person that you are? And despite all that, He carried a cross up a hill. He had the beard torn from his face. He was whipped beyond recognition. And he was nailed to a cross for your terrible self. And none of us get to despise that by refusing to be unified with one another. It's an affront to the cross. What God bred to unify, you better bleed out to fight for. That's who we got to be. It requires a commitment to unity founded on truth. Verse 3 of, of Ephesians chapter 4. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lots of big words there. Okay? But it does require endeavoring. Okay? And it requires us being bound over what? Right? What is the bond of peace? Okay, well, it's truth. Truth is what binds us together in peace. And then Paul does this thing where he goes through this list of all the things that should unify us and we should have a singular perspective on. He says this, there is one body and one spirit. Like This is like the discipleship stuff. We could like go through this and I could teach all this stuff to you like discipleship. There's a lot to learn here. But what the point is, I want you to see, is that there are certain things that the Bible teaches us, that God teaches us, that we've got to be singular on. 
There's one body and one spirit, as, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And these are the things that should unify us in our thinking. And we have to endeavor for that. That takes work. And that is why we have discipleship. So, verse 11, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We don't have a whole lot of time left, so I want to make sure that I hit this stuff. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. There's division that they find in Corinth. Okay, so Corinth becomes the model of what not to do. Okay, we're going to read about that. We're going to talk about it real quick. And then I'm going to point out how we can avoid some of the things that they did. Alright? So, first of all, verse 11 says, For it hath been declared unto me, of you, my brethren, then which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, first of all, I want to point out that the house of Chloe were tattlers. They were rats. We all hate a rat. <laughs> right? You know what they do to rats in prison, right? They get shanked. <laughs> yeah, stitches. Uh, what is it again? Stitches get stitches. Yeah, that's a popular, a popular phrase. Very cool. That's what we do. That's what we do to snitches. Yeah, Chloe. God. Oh, your name's Chloe. I forgot that. I knew somebody was going to bring that up. I forgot that. That's right. Well, wait, I'm not done with my point. So, so for these folks that lived in the house of Chloe, listen. These folks, unity was so important that they weren't afraid to tattle. Listen to me. I don't care what worldly perspective you have, but if there's harm in the body and there's disunity, someone ought to be tattling. For fear that that person might divide themselves and be torn apart from the body of Christ. Before things fall apart. Before things go south. Somebody ought to tattle. Someone ought to go to Jeff and say, Jeff, there's these people in the ministry that are upset with one another and I think we should intervene because the unity of the body is that important. Now, I'm not talking about gossip. Because gossip's another thing. Okay, that's a whole other thing. And if you're about to gossip, you think twice. Okay? But if we're talking about your heart is to make sure that the ministry stays unified, then that requires someone speaking out sometimes. And you need not be afraid of that. But here's the thing that's more important, is that we need to know what causes strife. What, co- what causes all the division? James chapter 4, verse 1 says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Where does that come from? Where does all that division come from? Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? It's an issue of your flesh. That leads us to our key point. All division requires an agreement with the flesh. You want to agree with the flesh? You want to choose to follow your flesh? You want to follow your lusts? The desires of what you want? Well, that's going to lead to division. That's going to have an impact. That's going to affect people. And so, you know, we've got to recognize that it's our flesh that leads us to be divided. Verse 12, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? So what's the problem here? Okay, here's the deal. Paul helped plant the church in Corinth. Okay, almost ten years before this. And he spent several years, he spent a lot of time in Corinth, more than any other place making disciples. At this time, Corinth was probably a church maybe of as many as 200 people. Now that doesn't seem like a whole lot, but when there were only a few churches in the world, that was a megachurch. That was a gigantic church in a gigantic city. Now here's the thing about Corinth. Corinth was a wicked city, it was a pagan city, and there's a lot of things that we could say about it. It It was a terrible place to be, okay, for a Christ follower. But it had an impact on the people. Okay, there's Greeks there, there's Jews there, they're, they're, they get saved, they come out of their sin, and they start following Jesus, and they've got to figure out how to get along. Now here's the thing about the Greeks. The Greeks worshipped in such a way that they were followers of the people that, that performed their religious rites. So if you went and worshipped in the pagan temple and you participated in some sort of activity in the, in the, in the false religious pagan temple, you would then associate yourself with whoever performed that religious rite for you. 
And so you would have follow you would be a follower of such and such priest. Okay? And and that's true even in the in the academic circles, okay? So in the same time frame, there were f- schools of philosophy. And so you would go and you would go to a particular academy and learn from particular men and you would follow the, 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 the philosophy of such and such teacher and you became of that teacher. Okay, well that worldly thinking, that way of thinking about religion crept into the church. It crept into the church. And so now that Paul was gone, there were other leaders that were rising up in the ranks of church in Corinth, other pastors, other elders, And they were meeting in different places because there was no one place for them to gather 200 people. And so they would meet in other houses and then they would occasionally get to come together but they were the church in Corinth that often met in other homes. Now you can imagine for a second how that would cause some division. And that the people would begin to think that they were followers of Cephas or Gaius or, or or of Apollos. These were all teachers in the church or some would declare, well I'm still a follower of Paul. And then some of them were so snooty, okay, so stuck up, they're like, well, I am of Christ. You guys know that kid? You know that kid in youth ministry, in small group, when you're studying, and they've always got the right answer, and they're kind of smug about it? I'm like, well, the answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. I declare it by the name of Jesus of Galilee. Let it be. They talk like that. They talk like like, like the King James. That's just like how they talk. <laughs> okay, we all know that kid. And there were some of those folks right here. They were, the, they were the pious here as well. And they said, oh, I'm of Jesus. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. We all love to associate ourselves by category. Don't we? I mean, especially in high school. I would say there's a little bit less of it when you get to college and you become a grown-up and you start realizing that that's not really how the world works. But in a high school setting, yeah, you're, you divide by things. Whether it be you know, your act, school activities or whatever stupid stuff you're involved in that you think is really important right now that won't be important in like four years. Okay? It's like everything to you now. Right? And you've got follow, you, you follow somebody, you've got teachers or your debate coach or your theater teacher or your coach or whatever it is, you follow them or whatever. You've got your favorite musicians, your favorite... Talk sensation. I'm mean, not. And you follow this stuff, and it starts defining who you are. And all your associations revolve around this stuff. Your favorite sports team. You know whether Jordan or LeBron is the goat. You know whatever it is, and we divide over this stuff. It's crazy. We live in a world like that. And all these associations are actually just trash when compared to what God's trying to do with the body of Christ. Like, we've got to be able to put these things aside. Our world is full of ways to divide ourselves into tribes or camps, and these cultural divisions have the potential to inform or or spill over into the way that we approach the body of Christ. And so, whatever it is that you're doing at school, you just bring that over here. You're all divided up at school by race. You're all divided up at school by what you do, your activities. That's what you do. The people that you hang out with the stuff they're into, and then you just bring that crap over here. And then you do the same thing to this ministry as though that's what God wants. This is not your high school. This is the body of Christ. This transcends all that nonsense. This is above it. This is beyond it. This is better than that. Don't bring that thinking in here. You can't do it. Don't let yourself be divided in worldly terms. Verse 14 says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Paul's like, man, I'm thankful that there's not reason, more reasons for you to divide. And he goes on, he says, he just, he just baptized a few people, Crispus and Gaius, and he should say that I was baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides that, I don't know anybody else I baptized. I can't even remember. For Christ sent me not to baptize. but to preach the gospel. That's what Christ sent me to do. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So here's our next key point. 
We must never put our associations with men over our affections for God. Which is what, if we're honest, that's, that's what y'all do. That's what we all do. We put our associations with people and categories and things and ideas and music and whatever, whatever, whatever it is that you think makes you cool or nerdy or fun or silly, whatever it is that you define yourself by, those associations, those human-made fleshly associations should never be put over our affection and our love for Jesus Christ. So for the sake of unity, we have to understand this important truth that when we convince ourselves that authors, preachers, podcasts, Jeff versus Brandon, Jeff versus Sam, high school ministry versus Kaya, oh gosh, it's so scary over there. I want to follow Jeff until I'm an old person. and That's not how it works. It doesn't get to work that way. It doesn't work that way. See, the reason that this is so beautiful, let's just talk about this for a second. This dude and I, we speak the same thing. When I hear him preach, I hear Sam. I hear Chris. I hear me. I hear Kenny. I hear the gospel. We speak the same thing. When I see him do ministry, I see that we're, we have the same mind. We have the same judgment. We are the same. And we work as a team. And He raises you up the best that He can. And then He hands you off to me in the ministry down the street. And we've got to be unified. There are no associations. There are no this over that. This is better than that. No, we're a team. We're a team. We all get our marching orders from somewhere higher. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross. This is it. This is the, this is the it. This is the hammer. Okay? Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And this is the profound statement that we need to walk away with because it reminds us that we are set free. We're set free from all that nonsense by the power of God. And we're dead to this world. He set us free, He made us alive, and He made us dead to this world. And so, we can't get our feelings hurt. Dead people don't get their feelings hurt. Dead people don't get all riled up about stupid stuff. A dead person can forbear. A dead person doesn't feel mistreated. They don't get offended easily. See, for a person who's set free... A person that has believed in the foolishness of preaching and has received it and accepted it and brought it into their heart. Unity is the most natural thing. And so we want to fix the unity. We want to, we want to come together. We want to make sure that our ministry, MBT, student ministry, Kyle, whatever it is, we want to make sure that we're all unified in our relationships. Well, guess what you need to do? You need to start by knowing God. You need to start by taking God's Word and putting it in your heart. And the unity will come. It's the most natural thing to love other people when you love the way God does. When you put His character in your mind and in your heart. When you say the things that He says. When you go hard after the book. When you know, when you wake up in the morning and you want to read the Word. When you go to sleep at night and you've got the book open and you fall asleep on your, with your face on your Bible. With your sweaty face all over your Bible falling asleep. That's good stuff. There's no, there's no better way to fall asleep than talking with God. And when that's the person that you become and that's who you are, guess what? You're going to show up at church on Sunday morning and you're going to be stoked out of your mind that you get to be here. Ain't nobody going to be worshiping like... You won't need any amplification in here. I was thinking to myself, we need to get you guys some speakers in here. Blow this place up. Everybody will sing loud then. No, 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 no. If you were stoked about following Christ, you just, as bad as you sound, you'd just be singing your guts out. And if you're loving the Word and you're loving Jesus, well, guess what? Everyone in here, you're going to care for them and prefer them even more than you care about yourself. That's what happens. 
That's what happens when you know the God that I know. And that's what we want. That's what we need in this ministry. And if we're going to win this world to Christ, see, I'm just stupid enough. Now, I'm just foolish enough to believe that God is going to use this church and this group of people to win all of Kansas City to Christ and to impact this world. I believe that. And that we're going to plant thousands of churches. That we're going to be a part of that work. That's what I believe. But we can't do that unless you're unified. Can't do it. And so there's some work that we need to do as a ministry to make sure that we have that kind of unity. I love you guys. I don't know how you want to do an invitation, but I'm going to hand it over. Um, Thank you for letting me be here. Um, I love you guys, and I'm looking forward to having the seniors with us. It's going to be a lot of fun um, when you come up. But um, with with the time you have left in this ministry, promote unity. Hand off the baton the right way. Don't be divided. Help, help the ministry. Don't hurt it.